the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, and have we got a mortem for you today. I'm here with my good friend, Eric Mitchell. Eric, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm not sure exactly what that means, that intro. We've got a good mortem for you, but I'm here, man. (laughs) Okay, so it's me doing some interviewing, asking some questions. It is Eric. We're both pastors here at Liberty Church Collingswood. I was at Liberty Harrisburg for their 10th anniversary service this past Sunday. Yeah. And I was the I was the, the delegation from New Jersey that sent formal greetings while Eric held down the fort and preached a sermon. And it was really good. Eric, did you miss me? Sure, dude. Uh, I'm sure our listeners uh, miss Emily, though. It's the second week in a row where oh. you've been in the, uh, the interviewee chair or yeah. interviewer chair and somebody else has been in the interviewee chair, so... Sorry to disappoint everyone if they were expecting Emily's <laughs> voice today. She'll, she'll be back next next week, and Emily, we all miss you wherever you are right now. <laughs> Here we go. Calling it Stormy Monday. Eric, you preached from the second half of Genesis chapter 3. Yeah. Really great sermon. What was going on on the inside as you were preparing the sermon? Yeah, man. No, I. you know, in my introduction, I sort of gave a little bit of an answer to this question, like yeah. over the last— um, yeah, a couple of weeks, month, uh, conversations in, in our own small group. Um, you know, we had a guys-only night a uh, few few weeks ago and just kind of a time for the guys and the girls had done it the previous week to just kind of share openly, like, hey, what's going on? Like, how are you really doing? You know? Yep. And, um, man, and, and that conversation, just there was a lot of, a lot of the same sentiments and feelings. Mm-hmm. Um and then again, in other conversations that I've had with leaders at our church uh, and, and folks at our church, um, and also friends outside of church going through different um, hardships, issues, struggles in their own lives, family back home, whatever, just like, man, it's just tough right now. Like people people are in a, in a rough spot in different ways, like to, to varying degrees, obviously, but yeah. it seems like nobody's like doing super, super awesome right now. Like at the very least, <laughs> they're, people... They're afraid to say if they are. Well, True. Um, but they're not. I mean, I'm not on Instagram or anything, so I guess the people that are that portray that they're doing uh, awesome they're, are all there. Yeah. They're, they're doing awesome. Yeah, especially, TikTok, especially all that, that guy. So I'm off of that, but the um, but yeah, so I think just those conversations were um, rattling around in my brain, um, yeah, quite a bit over the last couple of weeks as I started thinking about this sermon, thinking about the fallout from the fall, mm-hmm. and just like feeling like wow, like these conversations, the things that people are feeling, whether it's um, just like general boredom and a sense of Groundhog Day, yeah. uh, or you know, work is tough, marriage is tough, parenting is tough, whatever. Um, like this is this is evidence, uh, yeah. you know, of the fall and of the fallout. Um, and so that was what was going on a lot, like in my in my head and and in my heart. And so I think even as I was beginning to prepare this sermon, it sort of I think that that was going on. Maybe took me in some directions um, as I was as I was preparing it. There were a little bit different. Uh, maybe a little bit unusual. I'd be curious if you thought it was a typical Eric Mitchell sermon or if it felt pretty different. It felt very different to me. <laughs> That's a good question. I thought it was great. And 
let's see how the podcast goes. Okay, I, I'd be interested to hear from you what what you thought was was different about it. But I think I think I would agree. And so, I agree. Very heavy period, just in life in people's lives yeah. and dispositionally when you found out that you were going to be doing the second half of Genesis 3 was it just like a huge bummer we're like man life is already really heavy right now Thank, mm. thanks Jim I get to speak more bad news or was it that in combination with something else or something totally different yeah that's a good question I, I mean peek, peek behind the curtain it was only a bummer because I thought I was going to be preaching uh, on the other passage but the whole sh- sermon schedule got shifted a little bit yeah so, somebody got those dates wrong yeah we won't say who yeah, um, it was me but uh, so it was a little bit of a bummer because I was starting to think about Cain and Abel. Uh, yeah. Not like really seriously preparing. I mean, this was four or five weeks ago. It was yeah. not super It was recent. percolating. Yeah. But I was starting to think about Cain and Abel a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so it was kind of funny when I kind of looked back at the schedule. I was like, wait a second, something, something's amiss. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I wasn't I bummed out. Yeah, yeah. I really wasn't. I, I didn't. Yeah. No, I would say no. I, I really wasn't bummed out. Um. I mean, I, I think all these chapters in Genesis are fun and unique and interesting in their own ways. Like, um, yeah, so no, I, I, it was it was a good challenge and not one that I was dreading or anything. Yeah, and I think it's it's a good rhythm of preaching to, I'll say it this way, we never want our sermons to be so idiosyncratic that mm-hmm. can only, or hyper-contextual to a certain personality or, or who we are. But on the other right. hand, I think there's something healthy about bringing our lives into whatever sermon passage that we have to preach on a given week. And I thought you did that really nicely as we go into Sun Studios, Eric. Let's talk about the presence of the Lord as we encounter it in Genesis 3, consequences of the fall. I think when we originally went through these sermons, like way back in the day, like right after launch, this was before you were here. Yeah, I, I think the... I, I broke up Genesis 3, the first half and second half, in the same way. The title of the first sermon, I think, was Fall. And oh, I yeah. think the title, I know what these titles the are. The title yes. of the second sermon was More Fall. And then there was a third sermon, I believe, called Even More Fall. <laughs> I, I, I'll check the tape on that. Okay. I, the document is on my computer uh, as well as the files, and I'm pretty sure. That's brilliant. You just, you know, several weeks in a row spent about <laughs> – combined total of four seconds right on uh on all three sermon titles combined. yeah yeah it's it's all about efficiency Amen. so we do have more fall here what did you discover either again or anew as he dug into genesis chapter three yeah man lots a lot in this um in these 10 11 verses that it was fun um but both interesting and challenging yeah so i mean i, I jotted down a few different things here i mean one that i had never thought about before but through commentaries, reflection, listening to a couple other sermons from other ministers who are older and wiser than me, um, which is my practice typically when um, preaching. I like to listen to some some, yeah. some older guys. Not like old, old, like 1800s or anything, mm-hmm. but, but like, you know, older than me currently, um, which I don't put you in that category, Jim, just for the <laughs> record. Um, I was actually going to name some <laughs> old and crusty preachers that I know that you're not listening to, but I decided not to. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Not right. today, though. Let's not do that. Yeah, um, we, <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to name names like you do with Jalen Rager. That <laughs> um, Jalen Rager, probably a better preacher than a football player. Go on. <laughs> oh, Hi, Jalen. Okay. 
where was I at? Yeah, so jotting <laughs> things down. Yeah, one. So one thing that just yeah, from reflection and listening to some other people that I thought was really interesting about this passage was the fact that all four creation ordinances that we have talked about um, are either yeah. explicitly or ex- explicitly talked about here and frustrated, or at least in the case of the Sabbath, sort of. Um, it, 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 at least the implication is there. Right. So I thought that was really interesting to mm-hmm. see. Um, Could you name those four? Yeah. So, so there would be uh, in, in, in the speech, in the speech to the woman, um, where did I write these down at? Did I not write them on my sheet here anywhere? Hopefully I can remember them. I just did this right. Um, yes. Yeah, so in the speech to the woman, you have uh, procreation being mm-hmm. frustrated and then marriage being frustrated. Right. Um, and then in the man, you have toil and labor, or, or yeah. like when I preached on it, uh, the cultural mandate, being frustrated, and then finally Sabbath yeah. being frustrated. So really, like, everything that was, like, good and beautiful and given by God for uh, to, to be a blessing, like mm-hmm. here in these speeches, and especially in the speech to the man and the woman, you see uh, twisted and contorted and made less fun. Right, right. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Um it's not something I've ever seen in these passages before. I really had heard yeah, anybody say. So that was that was that was cool. Um, yeah, I, I liked the, uh, the the. I sort of noted this myself as I was just doing some exegesis on the passage, like studying the passage. That um, there's a few different recurring themes or, or like words that mm-hmm. are that are in these passages. You have uh, eating is a recurring one, both because that was uh, the. The, the sin was them eating from the right. tree of knowledge of good and evil, but then the serpent eats dust, and then the man, in order yeah. to eat, has to work and toil. Right. So eating, you have dust, which I just mentioned. The mm-hmm. serpent's going to eat dust. The man is going to, from dust you are, dust you will return. Yep. Uh, there's the offspring, again, and Eve with the frustration of childbirth, but then also with the serpent and, and that defeat that the serpent's uh, going to experience at the hand of Eve's offspring. Yep. And then there's relational strife, like relational trouble. Like, yeah. There's going to be strife between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of Eve, and then there's going to be relational trouble between man and woman. And and what I thought was really interesting, and that's so, with those four themes, is that only the serpent's curse, only the speech to the serpent, has all four of those themes, but they're spread out hmm. um, in the curses to the man and the woman. And and I, I, you know, to me, I just thought like, man, like like the serpent's kind of getting like a double a double helping. Right. <laughs> of like yeah. of, of badness. Plus he's also the only one that's cursed it directly. So so it yeah. says, Cursed are you, the yeah. serpent. But then in in the speech to Eve, there is no word for the curse isn't there at all. The word curse yeah. and then in the man it's cursed as the ground. So Right. Right. Um so the serpent's really getting like a double or triple whammy. Um yeah. in his speech. He definitely gets gets the worst of it, which I thought was kind of interesting. So that was kinda of cool Take to see those thing. themes. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of cool to see those themes and 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 I didn't really bring that up in the sermon. That was something that was left on the cutting room floor, but yeah. in my own exegesis and uh circling and highlighting of a piece of paper that kind of jumped out at me. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's such a masterful passage. It doesn't take away from from the truth of it. These things yeah. go here as opposed to to pull apart, but whether it's motifs, themes, poetic yeah. structuring, yeah. this is this is just a masterpiece yeah. of uh, of storytelling and even Real quick, Eric, with that last thing that you said, very true that only the serpent is directly addressed by way of curse in the second part of Genesis chapter 3. Neither Adam nor Eve are. That changes with Genesis 4, where yeah. as we see the fall accelerating, and this is the passage that I'm preparing yeah, spoil, to present spoiler this, alert this, here. this week, it's it's God. God then tells Cain, who just murdered Abel, cursed are you from yeah. the ground. Yeah. So you see 
more fall as, <laughs> as those masterful servants. Or, or even more fall. Even more fall. As some might say. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And so everything everything becomes harder. And as you were talking about the the speeches of judgment, really interesting, you what what was compelling or challenging even individually, were some more compelling or challenging than others than others for you to to go through and unpack for listeners? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I think the speech to the woman is the obvious answer to that. Um, yeah, you know, in with the speech to the serpent, um, you know, after you get past the whole like, hey, is this why snakes don't have legs thing? Like, <laughs> right, it's a pretty straightforward, yeah, uh, speech. I mean, obviously, the, the offspring of the serpent, offspring of of Eve. There's a little unpacking to do there, mm-hmm. um, but there's been you know lots of writing and thinking about that over nearly 2000 years. And, yeah. You know, and I mentioned the proto evangelium and you can go back to early church fathers that identified that and have kind of stuck there. Yeah. Um, and so n- not complicated, but there is uh, an interesting thing there. Uh, and the man like speed, that's, that's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, really isn't a whole lot there like hermeneutically. That's like hard right. to understand, but yeah. yeah and, but in the speech to the woman, for sure. Um, the second half of that, the frustration of the marriage relationship, this power dynamic that enters in, mm-hmm. um, the desire, her desire will be for her husband and he will rule over her. Uh, if you look at 10 different translations, you're going to find at least probably six or seven different ways Right. that's translated. Some some leave it. Uh, the, the ESV that's printed in, this, in the worship folder, I think, is intentionally vague. They sort of leave mm-hmm. interpretation up to the reader. Yeah. Other translations make it more clear in one direction or the other um, or in different ways. And so, yeah, so that was the one that was definitely the spot that I think I did the most reading and mm-hmm. the most thinking. Um, and we even did a little dialoguing in the car about it yeah. um, on our way to a Liberty Network meeting last week. And so, um, yeah, that was definitely the, 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 the most challenging part of understanding the passage and even thinking through um, how to communicate that piece in the sermon itself. Um, that was definitely the hardest part, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought you did a really good job of it. Plus, I agreed with your interpretive choices, including, and you mentioned that right into the Liberty Network last week, Eric, you opted for the non-latest version uh-huh. of of the ESV and giving us Genesis 3.16, the end of which says, God says to the woman, your desire shall be the most recent version your desire shall be against your husband and he shall rule over you. You went with the original ESV rendering that was in place for a lot of years. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. What what difference does that make? Just unpack a little bit more how how the nuances run in either direction. Yeah, well, I think um, with the word for there instead of the word against, it, again, it leaves some ambiguity to like yeah. figure out what it means, which I guess is the ESV's idea. And And by the way, too, I'll say... Um, the New American Standard Bible, the NASB, which I also like, has that translation. I think the NRSV does as well. The New Revised Standard the Version four. has the four. Okay. Um, so it's a pretty common translation. But yeah, so so with those, um, yeah, you yeah, with the four, it leaves open more so the interpretation of of that control idea mm-hmm. that there's going to be a desire. Uh, to control, to to master, to rule over the husband again, and I referred to, and again, spoiler alert with Cain and Abel here, but yeah, um, that there's a personified sin 
uh, in the next chapter, same word that the sin, you know, wants to have control of Cain. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go with if you go with the against, and this this goes into the hierarchy, the hierarchy male headship conversation as well. Yeah, with the against word, it sort of I don't want to say opens the door because again, you could interpret for however way I guess, but it seems to nudge in the direction of that the fact that her desire is not in line with her husband mm-hmm. is what's bad about it. Right. Not the, rather than the fact that there's this um, out of there's out with the four in the way that I interpret it, there's a, the control is out of bounds, not because it's against some sort of male headship, but yep. because uh, it's just, it's just improper period to try yeah. to control somebody right. in such a way. Um, whereas the against translation in the new ESV seems to, seems to nudge more in the fact that like, well, if she had, you know, sh- she's, uh, you know, she, she could have fallen into line, but she's going against. So yeah. anyway, that may not be the, be- the, the, the best way to try to explain that on the fly, but that's sort of o- over parsing, you know, translation words, at least that's sort of yeah. where I think it would nudge. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense. And as, men and women in the church continue to be topics that, that people are, are interested in talk about. This is one of those passages that has some bearing on, on such things. I'm going to return to some of these themes in the Genesis chapter 5 sermon. And part of the interpretive crux there is how much it's, what does this mean? But then also how much is pre-existing versus newly generative and generated during the fall and the curse. We'll, yeah. we'll get back to some of those things, but Quick and easy. I think it's easy to go too far in either direction. So yeah, here we are, Tim Keller landing in the middle <laughs> once again. We've yeah, <laughs> yeah, in the middle according to some people. But the the interpretive questions aside, I think there is broader agreement, and this is where we don't need to get too fancy with interpretation. But then also, it speaks to our world. If you're married, have you noticed that it's hard, right? <laughs> and yeah. things, 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 things aren't that easy. I, as I get older and continue with with friends from from different ages, Eric, I've I've told you that when you get invitations to people's second, third, and fourth weddings, you wonder like yeah. what, what what what's the level of expectation and obligation for a destination wedding for? I I guess I've never literally had a wedding number four, but you know. They happen. Marriages fall apart, and and yeah. and people argue, and actually, living in a marriage relationship with somebody is is difficult. As are reverberations beyond the marriage relationship too. Yeah. So, yeah, it fits our world to say that we're made for community, Genesis one and two. But then it gets really, really hard. Yeah, yeah. So we have that. Uh, going back, one more thing for me, Eric, about the. Serpent, and and then also about Adam. The I mentioned to you that I'm reading a book or have have read a book, "Live No Lies" by John Mark Comer, and, yeah, yeah. and the first section of the book talks about the serpent and Satan, which is is not a theological subject that I've spent a ton of time right. diving into right. and and going into. One of the things that Comer says in that book that's been reinforced by my going back to Genesis one, two, and three. John Mark Comer, the pastor in Oregon, writer, puts heavy emphasis on specifically the serpent as the deceiver and the liar. Yeah, and yeah. So much that's what we, that's what we see Satan doing right. in in 
in the fall and continues to do so. Yeah. So that 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 little devil whispering from our shoulder into our ear. Right. Uh, distorting God's word. Yeah. And telling us things that we want to hear so that sin gets that much closer to conceiving within us. Uh, yeah. Deceitful or deceiving ideas plus disordered desires is how John Mark Comer talks about what what Satan does. So, yeah, you know, good, pu- published author, could probably workshop that a, a yeah, long time. Sounds pretty good. The w- one other tidbit or two other tidbits related to to the man you you mentioned Romans 5 towards the end of the sermon yeah. and went into some detail about the connection between Adam and Jesus specifically. Could could you unpack that just a little bit more? Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, especially, um, you know, that was in Romans, but uh, in the New Testament overall, and especially you see this to be the case in like Matthew or Luke, for example, you see uh, the, the gospel writers, and then obviously Paul as an apostle picks up on this as mm-hmm. well, but you see this idea of, of Jesus sort of redoing like the history of Israel, like, Right. Um, you know, and, and we talked about some of this, I think, even maybe during the Advent series this past year. I think we yeah. might have touched on it a little bit. Like Jesus, the true human, Jesus, the true Israelite. Right. Yeah. So that um, some of the different things that Jesus does in his early life specifically and uh, is drawn out through Old Testament quotes and that kind of thing that he's like kind of going back and redoing like the the exodus to Egypt. He's kind yeah. of redoing, you know, the wilderness wandering and, and so on and so forth. And so, yeah. So here. Paul picks up on that imagery, and yeah, so Jesus is is here correcting, redoing uh, Adam, um, yeah, and 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 is this, and is like a true and better and greater Adam. Actually, there was one of my old church. I think it was before I even was there. Mm-hmm. There was um, they did a really long series that was just called like Jesus the True and Better or Jesus the Greater or something. Okay, and they went through like every possible version of that you could. <laughs> yep, you know chronologically, like yeah. Jesus the Better Joshua, Jesus the Better, you know. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think, but I think that's, that's a good way to read and to see Jesus um, yeah. in the different stories of his life. And then, and, and again, Romans is not a narrative of Jesus's life. It's a letter to the church, but, mm-hmm. but Paul, um, using that and, uh, and, and, and yeah, teasing out that, um, Jesus as a human, uh, was and fulfilled the perfect calling of humanity in obedience to God, the father. Mm-hmm. That Adam fell in, that Adam failed at. Right. Um, he restores, um, and this goes beyond, I guess, the second Adam idea, but he, but that he restores humanity to its original intention yep. um, by being obedient, um, by not listening to the lies of the deceiver. Yeah. Um, not falling to that temptation, living a perfect life, um, staying in the presence of God, staying in relationship with God. Um, all those kind of things. So, yeah, I don't know how far you want me to like tease that out, really. Um, I think that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's a super interesting, you know, the like the seminary word would be like typology. The typology. Uh, so like a you know that that connection that's there. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, that, I don't know. I really have anything else to say on that. But um, but it is it is cool, and I think that's a really. And I read just a couple of verses, and, mm-hmm. and, and Paul's talking about it is actually much longer than that. I think I read two verses. It's maybe 12 or 13 verses that he yep. actually draws that out in Romans chapter 5. It's most of the chapter. So, um, yeah, it's cool. It's a, it's a very interesting connection and one that I think is instructive and uh, hopefully inspiring, too, to even just to think about the work of Jesus and what he accomplished and how it, it does reach all the way back to the garden. Yeah. Um, 
it kind of brings that like longitudinal scope to it which i think is cool yeah it's all one story it, it's a great callback to the garden when when jesus comes on the scene for for theology corner theology nerd corner or yeah. theology corner nerd the people will talk about they'll use the word imputation so oh boy. Uh, westminster seminary sure. where i went john murray a mid-20th century theologian wrote a book a short book called the imputation of adam's sin so our the sin of Adam because we fell in him and because he's our representative before God until Jesus, uh, his sin is imputed upon us. Not only are we, and this is original sin, naturally corrupt, which doesn't mean that we're totally horrible, but it means right. that we're, we're corrupt in every part of, of who we are, not totally good anymore, uh, fallen, not completely, but fully in every in every facet of, of who yeah, we are. Yeah. So there, there's that aspect, but I heard, I heard a seminary, a different seminary professor in the same stream say, God really only, and this is something to weigh, especially if you're exploring faith, or even for somebody that's been in the church in a while, there's one sense in which God only views human beings through two people, either through mm. Adam or through Jesus, where yeah. apart from yeah. Jesus' righteousness being placed upon us, judicially imputed, uh, he sees us in Adam, and we're still, we're still in our sins. One, one last theological tidbit there. This goes back, Alan Wolves, to a sermon that I preached in the fall about faith and science. Science is real and days of creation. Eric, here's a, here's a seminary, quick seminary story for you. Oh, boy, here we the, go. I don't know if your seminary experiences or theological education when there was a lot of static and it was kind of cliquish and adversarial between different professors in different departments. That was my seminary experience for sure, where you had some seminary professors on one side that to some people were like lions of staunch defenders of the faith, but to others, they were the crusty hyper-conservatives that were stuck in the past. And then right, right. there were the... Uh, Opposite on the other end, the the relative, you know, progressives. They're they're innovating. They're being realistic about the world. But then, from the <laughs> other perspective, they're 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 the cultural captivity, the sellouts, the people that yeah, are you yeah. know losing the faith day by day. So, in my Old Testament class, we were going through days of creation, and the Old Testament professor was saying that a nuanced reading of Genesis 1 and 2 doesn't necessarily require six 24-hour days. Welcome to believe that, but not necessarily. There was a gotcha question in systematic theology class talking about original sin and mm. the doctrines of salvation type stuff to an older professor named Richard Gaffin, whom I liked a lot, was universally respected. He was the Switzerland, the one that was above, so respected that he was above the... Yeah, I know the, the name, for the, sure. The, the sure internecine fighting. Yeah. The, the question was, Dr. Gaffin, we are hearing in Old Testament studies, and professors hated questions when... Comparing other yeah, professors. Can, yeah, can sure. you comment on another professor yeah. in, in real time that some aspects of the creation story are... Fig could be construed as figurative as and he was dr gaffin was exposed was teaching from romans 5 the adam jesus yeah, connection yeah. what happens if adam is understood to be not a literal human being but some type of metaphorical representative 
and there was a pause and a silence that fell over the class, and people genuinely didn't know what he was going to say. Dr. Gaffin very calmly took a breath. He was a overhead projector person with oh, sharpies totally. and markers. Totally. He, he closed his sharpie, and he said, if Adam is not a real person, the entire system of salvation in Christ falls. So he put his weight very strongly. And this is one of the reasons why I feel that the scriptures bind me to believing that Adam was a historical person, not only on the basis of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but then also Jesus believed that Adam was a real person. Paul sure seemed to believe that Adam was a real person and constructs a lot of theology on the basis of that. And finally, from from the scientific perspective, it's actually not crazy to think that there is a, you know, even scientists that full-on evolutionary theory, it, there are many scientists that would still hold that there was one point, there was a point of origin for Homo sapiens, and and yeah. humanity originated here and not there mm. with with this line and not another one. So it, it's not as crazy scientifically as it might seem at first glance. Yeah, but. I think that's good. I mean, I, I haven't gone back and thought lots about. Um, creation and the different theories yeah but one of the things years ago when i was doing more thinking about these things reading i mean again like undergrad i went to bible college seminary so you have to yak about all this stuff multiple times yep um one of the things that keeps me from like a theistic evolution standpoint and i'm not you know people that are there i think you know that's not something i quibble about because i don't really care that much but sure one of the things that keeps me from going to a theistic evolution piece is the fact that if there were humans or some sort of pre-homeo sapien, sapien before Adam, how does that fit with, with this? Yeah. Um, and the same with like this killing of the animal, like for the skins. Like if there's like lots and lots and lots of death, mm-hmm. like pre the garden right. or whatever. Um, or even like humans, like, you know, clubbing other humans to death in caves. Yes. Yeah. You know, some sort of. Uh, prehistoric animal or prehistoric like human um yeah i think there's some like the the death aspect like pre-fall i have a hard time wrestling with and and making fit with um yeah with with, with, like this understanding of of uh of redemption right so i I don't want to get too deep into that because i'll be speaking out of my depth um certainly not a scientist but but that's one of the things that I, i wrestle with like yeah. With um, the idea of theistic evolution and like millions of years of people living and dying and, um, you know, uh, survival of the fittest. How does that fit yeah. um, with this garden narrative, uh, you know, on top of what you just said? But right. anyway, so that, that, that is a little tidbit for me, at least on in some ways about where I stand with some of that stuff. Helen Wolves, you can write into postsundayblues <laughs> at gmail.com and we can bring Eric back next week for I more gotcha questions when it comes to faith, science, and evolution. I think I'll be back in March. So There we I'll go. From them. So to round out this section, at least from my perspective, Eric, so it was the speeches of judgment and splashes of grace. Yeah. I, I had a friend on my basketball team in high school who was always talking about spritzers and when, when, sure. when the water boy would, would give him during a timeout or something, come with, with Gatorade bottle. Or yeah, whatever. Gatorade. He always say spritzer, and, and he just run down the court, always saying like, "I need a spritzer." So, I kept thinking of Bobby when <laughs> he said Bobby. splashes of grace. When so splashes or spritzers of 
grace to, to, depending on if you played high school basketball with me yeah but i thought it was a really nice trio of promise picture and person tying everything together in the proto evangelion of jesus crucified resurrected crushing the head of the serpent nicely done Thanks, man. I was going to mention some of my alliteration in the next section. So um, <laughs> it was very good. There's more. So I, I can come back to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mudding the waters. And you mentioned earlier, Eric, both at the beginning of the sermon, towards the beginning of this podcast, that you've been feeling not only your own, but the burdens of other people in this strange and sad yeah. season of life. And I do think that that shaped and affected at least from a listener's perspective, or at least from my, as a listener's perspective, the, the, the construction of, of the sermon, how, for people that were feeling some of these heavy things in life in a lot of different directions, what were you hoping that they would take away, or how, how were you hoping that looking to Jesus, which you talked about at the end of the sermon, would, would address just the morass that we find ourselves in? Yeah, this kind of um, yeah. Let me let me like answer the question by not answering your question a little ah, bit. Okay. Um, this was one of the things about constructing the sermon that was really difficult. Is that um, as I read and did some thinking, again, listened to a couple sermons on the same passage from other preachers. There's so many different ways you could go with this passage, um, like yeah. in terms of like an application. Yeah. Um, so like because all of the different creating or- ordinances are, are here. And there's frustration because there's potentially a lot of like really rich, like really deep systematic theology of salvation that you potentially could get into. Right. Like you could go in so many different directions. Yeah. Um, You know, like whether it's like, you know, circling back to, uh, you know, marriage being frustrated and talking about, you know, Ephesians chapter five and like we need to, you know, mutually submit to one another as, you know, Christ in the church, you know. You could go in so many directions, like application. And I think for me, because of the weight that I was feeling um, from from these conversations, and even from my own life over the last couple of years, it just felt odd mm-hmm. to me. At, at least, you know, maybe if I preach this sermon ten years, or if I preach on this passage again in ten years, mm-hmm. maybe maybe I maybe I don't go this direction. But like for right now, yeah, in this context, in this season of my ministry, of our church, of our world. Like trying to do like a really practical tidbitty make your life better application just felt off. It just yeah. didn't feel right. Right. So yeah. So my so where I ended up going. This was one of the difficulties in me, and this is this is the one of the maybe the main things that I think made this sermon feel very different mm-hmm. for me as a preacher compared to a lot of my other sermons. Yeah. If you were to go back and kind of put together some form of like what's Eric's average sermon, um, there's usually some practical quote-unquote more practical like payoffs how wolves get on it boom 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 um but in this one i just i i wanted it to be like stay pretty like emotive yeah for a lack of a better way to put it so tried to start the sermon that way wanted to end the sermon that way Mm -hmm. um and try to just touch like people's hearts and emotions a little bit um hopefully not in a depressing way but trying to sit in a little bit the the weight and and for people to feel the weight of like the fallout to feel the blackness right um that hopefully when these splashes of grace came and then as i ended hopefully the the, 
you know those those little dots of color as they contrast on that black background felt mm -hmm. bright and felt brilliant and felt yeah. hopeful and struck people and so yeah so i think yeah so my my goal was to just try to um yeah like hopefully uplift people a little bit um encourage people a little bit with the grace and the hope that is found in such a potentially dark passage yeah to remind people that there is some hope and some grace all as there always is but in this season um right. yeah so it's and i and so i think the the look to jesus thing um yeah i think my hope for people again whether they're followers of jesus or not that my hope would be that as people are even this week or in the coming weeks, feeling and experiencing the fallout in different ways, whether that's in their jobs or their marriages or yeah. <clears throat> their own interior worlds, that they would sort of turn, mm -hmm. you know, um, thinking of like a posture that they would kind of turn away from those other things and like turn towards Jesus. They would face Jesus. Right. Like look to him, like lift those things to him and like seek to find comfort and hope and grace and healing uh and him and not you know and i didn't get into idolatry but you know not in the other things that we potentially yeah. do turn to right to numb ourselves to hide uh to run away um from from those like heavier feelings but mm -hmm. that people would yeah instead kind of turn turn and look yeah to him instead so yeah i don't know if that totally answers your question but yeah that was sort of an emotive, less practical, but hopefully practical conclusion that I wanted people to walk away with. And, and, and it was actually kind of interesting too, and I hope I'm not going too far, but, um, that was, um, that was like the first time that I, and, and I did it intentionally, obviously I tried mm -hmm. to have like a little refrain, yeah. um, in my sermon. And obviously I, I kind of saved it all at the end, but at the beginning I talked about looking around, look within, hmm. look around. And then at the end, you know, the same look to him. So it's the first time I've tried like a little refrain like that. I mean, yeah. it's, I, I doubt it's going to be as famous as, you know, like <laughs> I have a dream, you know, pretty famous speech, uh, you know, pretty famous refrain. Yeah. Um, but it was the first time I tried to have like a little bit of, and not that like, it was good rhetoric. Look to Jesus is like, you know, original necessarily. Yep. But um, yeah, it was the first time I tried to do like a little refrain like that. So hopefully people like walk out of the service, walk around this week and hopefully those words stick in their mind yeah. from that refrain as they, as they encounter these things. Right. Yeah, I think you were right on to go in the direction that you did in the sermon, Eric. I thought it, that it was effective, practical application, and also raises the question about application in sermons in, in a couple of different ways. And hopefully this isn't interesting yeah. only to to preachers, but there, there are some strands of Christian preaching where every sermon ends with like here are the five things right. that, that you need to and i'm speaking as somebody that probably my a relative weakness of my own preaching is that i'm not practical enough so i don't want to be be uh you know lean into my own weak or justify my own over justify my own weaknesses right. but sure, sure, sure. stereotypically in the other direction if every sermon is like here are the five things that that you need to do to fix your marriage here are the five things that you need to do right. to become right. a better parent here are the five things right. that you need to do it Seemingly, if if you just catch three or four of those sermons in, in a row, your life will be perfect because you've done those twenty totally, things, totally. and 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 it's all it, it's all solved. I 
nothing super wrong or bad about that the, that style of preaching, but but I prefer to think about discipleship and following Jesus, the way of Jesus, the path of Jesus, third way walk and worldview Love it. as as a longer process and a slower cook. Where yeah. thinking about what we're what we're all feeling right now, that the heaviness of this period. We're not going to fix it this week, and for sure. And and there's there there's no technique that's going to make all of this stuff go away. Yeah. But the technique, if you want to call it that, of looking to Jesus, I think is crucial for this time and period. Yeah. Not not to fix or make immediate change, but to exercise the Peterson phrase, long obedience in the right. same direction. So I I think that view of Christian discipleship is both deeply biblical and fits good thoughts and understanding of human personhood and and how how we change over time anyway. So yeah. You yeah. were you were a French chef in your sermon th- this week when it was, you know, you were slow roasted. It was great. Love it. Um <laughs> Shay Eric. I uh yeah, no, and and maybe saying a little bit uh, more about Eric. that. Eric. Shay Eric. Go on. Um, I'm gonna refrain from saying something stupid and just keep 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 going. Um, I have no French for you. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's right, and I think um, you know one of the problems. And again, not that this isn't not that it's never proper to do what you what you had just mentioned, like five tips here, yeah. three ways here, because I do that too in different times. Yep. And sometimes I probably lean too far that way. Um, if if. Again, if, if I was to write out like my quote average sermon, sure. there's probably more of those than than otherwise. But I think in a passage about the fall and the fallout of our first parents' disobedience, I think ending a sermon and having like, hey, here's half a dozen ways to make your life better, like completely misses the point. <laughs> yeah. Because the point is that no matter how hard you try to be a good follower of Jesus. You try to be a good husband mm-hmm. or a wife. You try to be a good parent. You try yeah. to be a good employer or employee, et cetera, et cetera. Like the reality is that you still live in a fallen world. Right. Like, you are still a fallen person interacting with other fallen people yeah. 24 seven. And that's not going to change like this side of the new heavens and new earth. And right. so, um, yeah. So, and, and so in some ways that was underlying my decision as well, because like, Hey man, the fact is we're broken. We live right. in a broken world. And so I can give you some tips, but like you're still going to fall on your face right? with those tips or other people are still going to rub you the wrong way or your kids aren't going to obey you or, you know, work's still going to be hard. Your boss is going to, you know, overlook you or whatever. So yeah, so I think it would have just totally missed the ethos right. and <clears throat> thrust of the passage. Yeah. Um, because the fact is we still live in the fallout, you know? Yeah, that was wise. And Eric, we both, before deciding to go into ministry, studied astrophysics. Yeah, for sure. And so yeah. I think of okay. the fall as gravity. So it's as if when yeah. the fall occurred for humanity and for our world, the gravity dial was turned up where mm. life that was originally intended to be bouncy, happy, fun, were, were bowed so much lower mm to the ground and that was actually an image that saint augustine would use at different points in his writing how how sin has bent us to the ground mm. picturing like laborers in the field 
that gravity, that increased gravity is going to be there, like you said, until Jesus comes back. So it's less about fixing it in some short-term magic wand way because the gravity is still going to be there. But how do we, how do we embody practices of following Jesus in a way that works with the increased gravity that we're going to continue to feel. So yeah, looking totally. to Jesus is a good, good way to do that. Yeah, Anything yeah. else before we go bar band cover tunes? Uh, yeah. What else came in muddy in the waters here? What was fun or difficult? Um, yeah. I mentioned the refrain. Oh, alliteration. Yeah. I forget which ones you mentioned a second ago, but in that I had a fun time in that um, promise picture person. Uh, possibility picture person oh. was one, was one of them. Okay. The other one was protects, provides, promises. There we so go. a lot of P's, which was fun. Um, Mind your P's and Q's. That's right. So that was fun. Plus just like the um, speeches and then and splashes. So there was a lot of alliteration, a lot of parallelism. It was fun. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there were more. Those were the main ones. But um, yeah. So yeah, with this and, and most of those, yeah, obviously coming in the splashes of grace part that God protects, God provides, God's promises. He, and there's a possibility of redemption, picture of redemption, person of redemption. So I thought that was fun. I mean, the other thing I would say, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, like mm. I, my sermon writing goes in one of two directions. Like either on Thursday afternoon, I'm like banging my head against my desk and like whining and complaining to my wife that like <laughs> I'm stuck and this isn't working and I just want to trash it Life all. Life is horrible. I just want to throw all of my notes in the trash can and light it on fire and start yep. over. Yep. Or I have weeks happily like last week where on like Tuesday, I feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. And the structure of the sermon, and that's and that's where I struggle specifically. Other people might disagree and say I struggle in other areas, but when it comes to the actual creation process, the structure <laughs> is where I struggle to, to make. Tell me about your three greatest strengths and three greatest greatest yeah, strengths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so on this one, um, yeah, it came together pretty easy. Even the sermon title just kind of nice. presented itself, and I just decided not to kick against the goads and said, "Okay, there's a sermon title. There's my structure. I'm just going to go with it." And yeah. See what happens. And so, yeah, so this sermon actually came together pretty easily um, along those lines. Um, maybe not the most artful organization of a sermon. It's pretty simplistic and maybe too many points because I kind of hid six points under two points. But yeah, but there's um, a nice symmetry to it. Yeah, so. but hopefully it was effective and um, it made sense. So, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a pretty easy sermon to put together, luckily. Boom. Who says the fall can't be fun? Eric Mitchell. Okay. <laughs> Not a quote. Barman, cover tunes. So you, it was, speaking of fun, Chernobyl. Yeah, dude. <laughs> that, was, that was a really cool introduction where you talked about the fall from Chernobyl. Had, had you gotten that from another resource or sermon, or were you just thinking about? No, I mean. What else has uh, fallout? <laughs> no, that literally that was it. So I think <laughs> That's on the, awesome. So I think on the podcast last week, I don't remember if you said it in, um, in the sermon when you preached, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago in the mm-hmm. sermon when you when you preached on the first half, yep. or if it was in the podcast, but I think you used the word "fall" and "fallout." Um, yeah, at some point, you, I, I I know you you did, or maybe it was that rings the, a bell. Maybe you wrote it somewhere. Either way, but maybe in the title of the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. It would be <laughs> easy to check the tape on that one, but we're not going to do that. Um, so yeah, so yeah, just that term "fallout" stuck stuck in my mind, mm-hmm. and so I mean, I just. This is like driving around, driving in my car, thinking about the sermon as right. you do when you're a week you're preaching. Yeah. And um, yeah, just like the, the idea of Chernobyl just sort of came to me. Um, again, having like seen a documentary before, having seen pictures before. Have you watched a TV show? There was a miniseries about a year or two ago, like mm. dramatic miniseries. 
like fictional, like a like a historic fiction kind of. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't seen that. Okay. I'll I, check it out. I'll look it up. <laughs> I was gonna say I I won't spoil it for you, but we kind of know. <laughs> it blows up. Yeah. That's, what, that's what happens. Again, every yeah. time they do this documentary or show. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so yeah. So so the so the picture just sort of came to me again. Just even like literally like the images that I've seen or like the video that I've seen of you know of like the, the and I reference this in the sermon, but just like you know camera crew like walking through the school where like it looks like the kids yeah. left ten mm-hmm. minutes ago. There's just desks flipped over and papers on the ground. Right. Except for the fact that like windows are busted out and there's like plants growing out of the ceiling. You know. Yeah. So you know it's been decades. But right. It's just bizarre how untouched it has been, mm-hmm. but then how like destroyed and devastated and um, the decay and uh, overgrowth and, you know, that the, the, that fallout, the consequence. So, yeah. So anyway, so I think those images came to mind and I just kind of, again, just sort of said, you know what? I could probably spend three or four hours trying to find a more interesting intro, but like this one no, works. It's great. And so I'm just going to go with it. It just presented itself. I'm going to run with it. Um, yeah. So that's where it came from. It was, it was kind of interesting too. I, I, I ended up not saying this when I, um, when I mentioned in the introduction and things aren't the way they should be, I, I mentioned uh, like Brian Flores' suit and, yeah. I, and I mentioned uh, the Olympics and those are know, good examples. Yeah. The allegations of, of human rights that the other funny thing that came up both as I was studying and, or as I was doing some research to just get my facts straight on Chernobyl, mm-hmm. um, but also as Carrie and I were watching the opening ceremonies of the Olympics on Friday. Yeah. Uh, and like, uh, like, Putin has like Russian troops that are on the edge um, of the Chernobyl exclusion zone, uh, so they're so they're all around Ukraine. Um, huh. But but a couple of the articles, or one of the articles specifically that I was reading, was talking about how there's some concern that Putin could attempt to use the Chernobyl exclusion zone, that thousand square mile desolate, des- like completely empty area, hmm. to like funnel. Uh, like troops and tanks like into Ukraine faster, even though they'd be, I guess, exposing themselves to radiation. Right, but, right, right. Um, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, huh. Anyway, but again, just like adds another layer to uh, like seeing, you know, Putin up in the box, like waving, uh, you know, to the, the Russian Olympic Committee athletes, like making their way in just to think like, oh, man, if he invades like another country in the middle of the Winter Games. Wild. Could be a little crazy. Um, so, so related to that, just to let you know, we we do have – I'm I'm looking at where our downloads are from from this podcast. We have none from Russia, but we do have one total ever from Azerbaijan, which has nothing to do with Chernobyl or Ukraine. Awesome, dude! It's great. It's connected. Sure. <laughs> no comment. I like foreign <laughs> politics, and I just, it's definitely a topic I have zero understanding. They're all countries that are not America. So there's your. Common denominator. Uh, Hello, yeah, did you want to say anything else about uh, Chernobyl, or that that was one of that was my first first reference of the of the sermon? I'll, I'll save my Chernobyl jokes for another time. Yeah, good idea. Good idea. Wait until killer. Like, wait till twenty sixty five when it's all cleaned up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Then then we had some theologians slash commentators heard a little Hermy Bavinky, then Al Walters, Derek Kinyu, Kidner, Kid you Kid me Kidner. Yeah, Matthew Henry, yep. and then nothing wrong with those guys. Most most fun and interesting to me was John Chrysostom yeah, at the end. Johnny the, C. The 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 golden mouth. Uh, pick and choose any of those that you want to double click on. Yeah, and no, I mean, yeah, quick quick um, 
so people in the podcast will remember from past times when I've talked that um, kind of one of my goals in preaching is to either quote from like the standards of the RCA, mm-hmm. Heidelberg Catechism, Belgic Confession, Canons of Dort specifically, or and or to like quote a Dutch theologian. Right. So again, thinking back to the fact that there was a lot that I potentially could have gotten into with like imputation of sin. Right. And that kind of stuff, uh, like I, I had copy pasted into my like notes document, like pretty large quotes from from like those confessions yeah. and creeds. And I thought, I'm not going there. It's just too much. Like it's, uh, I don't have enough time. Like the sermon ended up you being like. You should have quoted him in the Dutch. Just yeah, reading. No, reading Dutch. Uh, <laughs> so, I, so yeah, so I ended up like not quoting from the standards at all because mm-hmm. it was just like, it was, it just would have taken me into like an, like some like deeper theological waters that I, yeah. I just didn't feel like I had the time or like the needed to wade into. Right. Um, but then I like almost cut Bob Inc. And then I thought I got to at least squeeze like the Dutch theologian in. So I just gave like a half, half sentence quote, right. unleashed a flood of misery on the human race. Um, so yeah, I wanted to, so I wanted to at least uh, squ- squeeze one Dutch theologian in there. Yeah, Albert Walters, like that's actually um, that quote comes from uh, a book. I believe it's called Creation Regained, um, but it's like one of my favorite kind of books on like worldview. Yeah. Um, so he kind of. I read it years ago. Yeah, I love it. It's great. Um, and uh, yeah, so anyway, I won't say more about that. But that's from his book. Um, so that was fun to to get that in there, and mm-hmm. I think it's a good illustration, obviously. Uh, yeah, no, um, yeah, Johnny C, man, John Chrysostom, he's the man. I, I actually wrote a paper on him. Oh. And, uh, it's either undergrad or seminary. I don't remember at this point, to be honest. It, it was probably seminary. Okay. Um, so read like a, a pretty lengthy biography by J.N.D. J.N.D. Kelly, um, I believe is the, the hmm. writer, if I remember. Um, but yeah, John Chrysostom, interesting, super interesting guy. Like, um, I don't know how much you know about him or not, but. Not a ton. Um, you know, he was in like the Antioch school of right. hermeneutics and understanding how to like read and understand scripture as opposed to like, like Alexandrian. The right. As opposed to the Alexandrian school, which was like Origen and others that were like allegorizing everything. Right. Um, and that was one of the ways I kind of got interested in him as he was he's sort of the OG of like historical grammatical exegesis, like him and his buddies. Yeah. Um, the Antiochian. But he also, and I'll have to go back and look now that we're doing a lot more talking and thinking as you and me as individuals, but also yeah. as a church about practices of presence and mm-hmm. spiritual disciplines. Right. He actually like had a good amount of time, if I remember correctly, as a monk and kind of like yeah. didn't want to be, not that he didn't want to be like a pastor or a preacher, but didn't really want to be like famous or be right. like thrust into positions of power. He was kind of happy to like be in the desert and do his thing. Um. Yeah, but then he ends up becoming arguably like the most powerful like bishop, um, being the bishop of Constantinople, preaching in the church that the Hagia Sophia that precedes the one that currently stands mm-hmm. uh, that was destroyed, um, preaching every week like to the emperor and his wife and like saying some pretty rough things <laughs> about them like right. in his sermons to their face. Um, so he's a pretty interesting guy. Uh, his homilies are interesting and his life is really interesting. Died. Um, as a not an old man, but maybe for the times an old man when he was forced into exile, uh, he like died en route, hmm. um, as he was just like wasn't well taken care of, like en route to uh, his exilic destination. Okay, so life kind of cut short, um, but interesting character. So yeah, I that quote um, came from uh, from from a just a, a sermon quotes document that I've I was passed by okay. 
another uh, preacher, uh, former Liberty Network pastor. Oh, uh, good old Jared. Good old Jared Ayers. Um, he shared that with me years ago, which is really helpful. Um, and so that quote was in there, but I, I do like John Chrysostom a lot. thought it was a really beautiful quote um, and a really nice parallelism with uh, the virgin, uh, a tree, and a death. I thought that was really cool. So hmm. very more, more artful than I am, but I, I thought it was good to squeeze in there. Yeah. So I think that's all that I'll say about uh, about those things. A couple of verses, uh, Hebrews 9, Romans 5, we already talked about. Um, yeah, I think that's it, man, in terms of that. Okay, so that's bar band cover tunes. What do we have for guitar slim pickings? Anything else that any trivia that you want to <laughs> trivia that you want to previous to? You always ask that. I'm like, what trivia? Like, like <laughs> I love it. Like, I don't know. how many hours do you think this took? A, B, C, or D? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't have any trivia. Um, nothing that I wish I would like redone or have done differently. Um, yeah, the only uh, there were only two things that I sort of like left out. So thinking of the idea of guitar simplicings in terms of leftovers. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the thoughts that was in my mind, and we I, and I maybe I should have said this when we were talking about it earlier, but one of the thoughts that was in my mind is um, Paul David Tripp has a marriage book called "What Did You Expect?" Yeah, um, which is one of my favorite marriage books. Yeah, it's actually, a good one. Yeah, it came out when I was in college. I remember I pre-ordered it from Crossway. I remember. <laughs> I thought it was so so fun to have like a first edition like hard copy right hardback of Tripp's book um, PDT. But uh, but what did you expect? And his whole premise and the whole first chapter is all about like you're a sinner married to a sinner and you live in a fallen world. So like, what did you expect? Like this wasn't going to be easy, folks. <laughs> like there's going to be difficulties. Cha-ching. Um, and that was in the back of my mind a little bit too, as I was thinking again, going back to like the intro. And some of that stuff is just like, hey, guys, like, what did you expect? Like, we live in a fallen world. Like, things are hard. Yeah. They just are. Um, so I didn't even look for, like, a quote in that book or anything. I, I thought at one point about maybe mentioning it, but I never did. So that – but that was kind of in the back of my mind, that kind of framework yeah. of you're a sinner married to a sinner, live in a fallen world. So, of course, things are hard. Right. So let's just acknowledge that. But now let's, like, figure out how to move forward. Yeah. Um, and he has great marriage advice in that book that is very practical, which, again, wasn't practical in the sermon, but he, um, but it's a great book. Uh, the, the only other thing I thought was really interesting, I, I have this written down somewhere. Let me find it real fast. There was a cool, um, when I was looking, when I was looking for quotes, there was a cool, uh, Leslie Newbegin quote, mm. um, that I, that I decided not to use. Oh, there it is. That I decided, uh, not to use, but he compares, he talks about the mission of the church. I'll just read it. This is one little line. He says, the mission of the church in the pages of the new Testament is more like the fallout from a vast explosion, a radioactive fallout, which is not lethal, but life-giving. Hmm. And I um, I thought about, like, trying to put that in the conclusion somehow to have, like, a little, like, bookending, a little inclusio of, yeah. like, Chernobyl, nuclear fallout, and then, like, this idea of, of the church and God's people living on mission being, like, a, a, a life-giving, like, yeah. fallout, radioactive fallout. But again, like where I ended up going application wise, like yeah. it didn't make any sense. You would have had to get rid of the Chris Awesome quote, probably. Well, and it would have had to totally change like yeah. my whole right. conclusion yeah. and like the ethos of it to go in another direction. <clears throat> like, okay, how can we as the people of God fight back against this, which is going in a totally different direction? Right. Which again is like valid. Um, and maybe I should save this quote uh, if I preach on this passage in 10 Actually, years. I might use it next week. That's a good one. Hey, man. All right. I'll give it to you. I'll give you a little copy paste. It's from uh, the gospel in a pluralist society. I was going to say. Um, but yeah, so, so I left that, 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 uh, that got 
that got the scissors taken to it um, and was left on the cutting room floor. Um, but I think that's pretty much it. I think we covered everything else I had written down. Um, yeah, no real stories or, or trivia to, to give you, buddy. And that's pretty much it. That's what we do. Clean Plate Club, Leslie Newbegin, no relation to Leslie Nielsen, as far as I know. Helen Wolves, feel free to write in. Let us know what you're thinking about Genesis so far. Blues at gmail.com. Thanks for uh, listening. Numbers, numbers are numbers are huge. Who knows if they're huge? But numbers are growing for the, for, for the podcast. Both the uh, Post Sunday Blues, preaching post mortem, and then also for the sermon feeds as well. I don't know if people are nice. using the podcast feeds more than the website, or, or yeah. just more people. More oh, people hey, Jim, tune I just, in. I just thought of a little trivia question. Sorry to interrupt oh, yeah. your encore. Yeah. The, uh, yeah you can do multiple uh, encores. Bruce ap- always after we, one. After we finish recording, we're going to have our staff meeting, so I was going to mention this to you then, but I'll yeah. mention to it to the fine listeners. Hit me. Uh, Sunday was our largest Sunday of in-person attendance so far in 2022. Really? So everybody knew you were gone. They were like, man, <laughs> let's all go. I'll we're going. to be gone more often. This is great. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> it felt good. It was, a, it was a nice sanctuary. felt solid. It was good. Woohoo! That's awesome. It wasn't really a trivia question. I guess if I had made a trivia question. Well, it's just trivia, not a trivia question. Yeah, I could have given you like an over-under, like of how many people were there or something. 1,000. It would be under. (laughs) It has always been under. Only by a couple. You could add up all of our attendance in person for this whole year so far. It would be under 1,000. Yeah, that's that's executive pastor versus lead pastor. <laughs> Worlds of thought right there. No, don't let me get I, out my spreadsheet. Yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think we're definitely over a thousand. Thanks, everybody, <laughs> for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Get us over the hump on Spotify. Be our thousandth reviewer by going to iTunes and, and leaving a review. And maybe in the meantime... We'll get a couple of reviews before that so that you could be, or, or you could just leave <laughs> just say, nine, nine, 982. Anyway, we'll take it. How was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching post mortem production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more post-Sunday blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. (laughs) Said Mikhail Gorbachev. (laughs) And the Russian Olympic Committee that's still in trouble for doping, so they can't have their national anthem or their flag or anything the winter olympics uh do you know that what do you mean you probably don't watch the winter olympics do you? I, no I, I don't do olympics <laughs>